Welcome to Mormon Book Reviews, where an evangelical encounters the Restoration. I am your host, Stephen Pinecker, and back by popular demand, Rebecca Biblioteca. Thanks for coming back on. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm so happy that you invited me back. I love to talk about this, and I love to chat with you. I think we have a lot of fun. Yeah, so I was thinking I'd asked earlier this week if Rebecca would be my uh, plan B in case I couldn't locate yes. somebody, and then you had mentioned the, hey, they're going to be doing the temple ceremony. In this episode, of course, we're going to be sensitive about, you know, how some of you, are, you know, I understand. I'm going to be, we're going to try to be respectful here. They do show the temple ceremony um, in there. And Rebecca's, uh, I thought, would be a good person to have on because she, of course, in her interview that I did with her, uh, had some pretty remarkable temple uh, stories that happened. And so I thought, okay, let's do this now, folks. First of all, hold up your mug. Hold, hold up your mug. Hold up my mic, yeah. Yep, hold yeah. it up. Okay, so that's that's this week's mic. Okay, so Rebecca, I just have to tell you that MormonBookReviews.com is our merch store, and I didn't realize this, but it's live, which means if you want to buy an MBR mug, I do. <laughs> just go to MormonBookReviews.com, and you okay. can get T-shirts, hats, even cases for your cell phone. Pretty wild. <laughs> so either way, check that out, folks. And so, okay, here we are, episode three, under the banner of heaven. Now, you sent me a um, message uh, that you thought this was a much better episode. Why don't you uh, start talking about that? Um, I did think it was a much better episode. I think when I talked to you before, I was a little guarded in what I said. But to be honest, the first two episodes I felt were really disjointed and kind of lost. I feel on this third one, it really started to find its voice. I feel it really started to go in a positive direction. I even felt the use of flashbacks because they gave a little context with each flashback. They literally said, this is what this is. Um, I felt they worked. So I have hope for the future. I think it is trending in a good direction. And it was easy to, I have to admit when I watched episode one and two, part of it, I watched like this, you know, so cringy. Mm. I was kind of like hiding. This one, I, I fully watched, I enjoyed, um, had lots of discussions with friends and family that were also watching about the different themes. And yeah, I think it's definitely trending better. So that's a positive for sure. All what right, did you awesome. Uh, yeah, definitely. I thought it uh, probably picked up the pace a little bit more. Um, I don't, I didn't feel that the uh, the flashbacks intruded on the story like the other ones. As a, as a matter of fact, it kind of actually kind of helped the story move along as well. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly my thought. Last time they were just so invasive. Just, I think I called it like a machine gun. Boom, boom, what's that? This time it really did tend to further the narrative, which I thought was excellent. So, yep, it's finding its footing, I feel. Yeah, and it uh, covers Hans Mill, which I think is fair because when we talk about, of course, we talk about Mountain Meadows, there's, that's an echo of something that happened in the past with the Hans Mill. And uh, I thought it was interesting. Uh, I thought, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. It's kind of clunky, like standing by, behind the truck with his partner. He's like, no, you got to understand. And he tells the story and they're going to think of themselves as I'm like, I don't know if that, I mean, that just, it just seemed a little weird, but I think it's, just, it's for the purpose of telling the story. Exactly. Suspend your disbelief. I think that's the whole point. So no, and I think in all the flashbacks so far, they portray Joseph Smith very sympathetically, right? He's a peacemaker. He's the voice of reason. Um, I think, of course, they started to allude to toward the end of this episode that maybe he gets um, a little wrapped up with Brigham Young, who was more of a rebel rouser, right? And so maybe that's the direction it's going to go. I don't know um, that Joseph was a peacemaker. Brigham Young is really the one that was behind a lot of the problems that happened. But to this yeah. point, they show him as a very, you know, 
a leader trying to make peace. So. Well, and I think that's important. You know, um, I don't like caricatures. I recognize that Joseph Smith was a real person. And yeah. on my side, especially the evangelicals, we've demonized the man so much. Yes. And I think unfairly, because actually I see a lot of us in Joseph. No, I think that's true. He is a real person. And a lot of us, especially growing up uh, in the Mormon church, don't realize that. I mean, he could do no wrong. He was just this perfect, perfect person. You didn't ever really see any facets of the human being. Once I got older and started studying more about him, I actually had way more respect for him. I mean, flaws and all, just just the kind of person that he was and what he accomplished and what he did. So, so one of the things that this particular episode um, really kind of focused on, that it was hinted to, but it really focused on the anti-government aspects. So before we talk about the temple ceremony, because I know a lot of you are going to probably want to hear what um, we have to say about that, let's talk about the anti-government themes that were in the thing, and then and then also uh, relay how it parallels, you, you alluded to it last week, but maybe just talk, expand upon that. Yeah, even more so this week when I when I saw the conversation between Brenda and Dan, and it made me kind of realize, I talked about my brother-in-law last time, it was a very similar trajectory where you might have some economic issues, right? Some stresses, like you saw that in the Lafferty family, businesses were failing. This is some stresses in my brother-in-law's business, right? And then that kind of turns into a, well, why do I have to pay taxes? And the government can't tell me to what to do. And then the trajectory kind of takes you to, well, this is what God wants. We, God is a higher law, higher than the government, higher than my own desires. I almost don't have control over what I want to do. There is a higher force that's directing everything. And I started to think about that. That's kind of a relief, right, to people. I didn't necessarily want to do it, but God has told me, right? It takes it off your plate. Mm. <laughs> Someone else is directing you and you're rewarded because you're following someone's instructions. So with that conversation with Brenda and Dan, it reminded me, like I alluded to last time, lots of conversations with my brother-in-law where um, we'd go to a family gathering and he'd have a little group over in the corner and he'd be teaching them and preaching to them about, you don't have to pay your taxes. You like, you don't have to pay your mortgage. His main line was, oh, you don't know, do you? You don't know. <laughs> you know? And, and so he definitely sort of had a prophetic aura. I had forgotten until I watched this episode that my brother-in-law grew a, a longer beard. I mean, I don't know why this is all similar traits. He also started stockpiling uh, guns and things. Every time he would come to Utah to visit us, he would tell my husband, come with me, we're going to go buy some guns. You know, he was stockpiling. He was, he had all those characteristics, you know, and he, he, the, I mean, he never got violent, but he definitely impacted people in that he started giving people a little knowledge about this and it became dangerous. And he even told me, he goes, I feel kind of bad because I'd given people some instructions on how to do this, not pay taxes, how to go to court to defend yourself no one can do it. You know, it's like a lifetime career to try to defend yourself against not paying taxes. So a lot of people he was teaching were getting in trouble uh, with the government, with the law. So he, he was showing a little bit of remorse about that. He's passed away at this point, but you know, up to the end, this was his stance, you know, off the grid. One day he, he bragged about ripping out his mailbox. He ripped it out of the ground. Nobody was, you know, no government agency was going to come to his house. You know, and so I started thinking of that trajectory where you have economic, 
you know, problems maybe in your family, you start to blame taxes, the government, you, if you're religious, maybe morph it into God is on my side, and then it can go terribly wrong. So I don't know, do you have any experience with anything like that, or anyone you know, or you a lot of people do, I think it's not that uncommon. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, in the 70s, uh, growing up, uh, I don't really have much memory of it, but my parents attended a church where there was a lot of people who thought we live in the last days, a one world government, mm -hmm. uh, they're going to take away your rights, and uh, you know, they're going to persecute Christians, and so you need to be prepared. And so, yeah, there's a lot of uh, similar minded type kind of people. Um, and I actually, I mean, I actually, in politics, I actually met with militia leaders <laughs> who oh. <laughs> have a similar um, worldview. So right. I'm very familiar with the conspiratorial mindset. I read, I, growing up, I read many of the same books that those people would have read. I never, but my parents always said that tax thing, that's, don't even think about that because we wow. know too many people that have gone to jail. And, and so that was just kind of viewed as it's just ridiculous. It, it, it really was ridiculous because it, it doesn't work and people still right. fall for this thing. And did he ever end up, did, I don't remember if you mentioned this, but did your brother-in-law end up in jail? Yeah, he did go to jail. He did. And it was actually, it was sort of related, kind of unrelated. Um, it was some other business things that he was doing. And he had declared himself sovereign mm -hmm. and was starting to write his own checks. He became his own bank. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know the ins and outs of all of it, but he went to court and he would not give his name. They said, state your name. He goes, I won't. That's a straw man name. The government gave it, you know, it was some kind of the argument. He learned how to do all the ins and outs and just rattled the judge to the point where the judge, judge said contempt and put him in jail. But jail was awesome for him. He considered himself a prophet. He said, I'm preaching the gospel and I'm telling people about the government. And I mean, to him, it was a wonderful, you know, I'm in prison, I'm preaching kind of experience. Wow. So, so now was he actually, it sounds to me like he was a leader. Was he like a leader of a group or what? what yeah, he's, was... He, he was pivotal in a group. You know, he was a very dynamic personality. Everybody in my husband's family are very bombastic and dynamic. And he was a big guy and big beard. So, and like I said, he and his people used to go to the Capitol in California and they used to protest different things. So, I mean, all I know is that it made family gatherings uncomfortable lots of times because when the rest of us wanted just to talk and get together, he would yeah definitely be preaching and talking to us like we all didn't know what was going on and yeah. you know open your eyes that kind of a thing yeah. so yeah it was definitely took a turn once you got involved in that so. got it yeah so that's just an insight there folks that when they're yeah. showing these characters these there wasn't a whole lot of exaggeration going on there was there no, I didn't feel at all. And in fact, it was interesting. I felt like a lot of the things the Lafferty's were saying, maybe in the last 20 years, we didn't hear mainstream people saying it post COVID. I feel like we hear people saying that more out in the open. And I watched an interview um, with uh, Lance Black and he said, yeah, when people go through trauma, um, and that can be a economic or for us, maybe all coming out of COVID, you come on the other side and you have these different points of view. I have heard people um, in my workplace just in my ward, definitely spouting off some of those points of view. You know, I think there was one family that we hadn't talked to him through COVID. And when I connected again, they're like, yeah, we bought some land in Idaho. Yeah, it's, it's getting close to the end, you know, or people who I never thought would hear criticize or go against what a prophet said saying, they can't tell me to wear a mask to church. They can't, you know, so I feel like things are getting more vocal now um, post COVID, which could be trauma. It could be just, I don't know. I mean, have you noticed that? It's, it's very interesting to me. There's a shift for sure. Definitely. I live in, I actually live in a Christian community. 
Oh, okay. In Florida. Oh. And I will tell you that it got really, really weird, really, really fast. And it's still very weird. Um, and so there's these, I don't know if any of these, I, some of these people, I don't know if they'll ever, will we ever be able to recover them? I think they're gone, you know, and I don't, I feel bad because it's just so sad to see that. And, and a lot of it has to do with, I don't know, some of the stuff that's taught from the pulpits uh, too mm -hmm. is, uh, is, is, you know, I'm talking about our side. I'm not talking about LDS or anything. I'm just saying that things, yeah. they have people come through here saying we're, we're prophets who we say we're in the end yeah. times. And I mean, we have prophets come here, you know? So, 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 so this is a very familiar world. Like knocking to, on the doors. Like we send out missionaries, but you have prophets. Hello. Well, I have, well there were I prophets that come and speak at conferences and, right, are, right. and services. And so, it's very common. And well, I think a lot of these people, these prophets that have been here throughout the years are the same prophets who said um, Trump's going to get reinstated or, you know, all these kind of things. And these people are just swallowing this stuff. I'm just like, oh, my goodness. So, yeah, I'll tell you, it's gotten weird. So attractive. Do you think this concept of the end of the world? I would think it would be more hardwired into our DNA to survive. Right. That's why we're here. We survive. Yet people seem so attracted to that idea that the end is coming. I don't know why that is. I don't want the end to come. No, no, I, I, I think. I think part of it is that, well, I don't know. It's, it's, of course, part of it is you say DNA, hardwired our DNA. Well, being raised in religious environments, it's been hardwired into us or, or being, or we, it's been informing yeah. us since children that we live in the last days. And so that's the expectation. I think that, I just think because, see, this is the thing, like all these Christians are saying, oh, it's all horrible. And they're talking about this COVID thing. And I'm like, this is a Tuesday in the third world. We have to face this stuff all the time. And I think they think that because I'm a white American and bad things are happening to me, this has to be the end of yeah. the world. It's a privileged point of view, I'm sure. But it's very disturbing to me. I've seen in my workplace um, grown men, professional, like doctors, lawyers, discuss in the hallways, oh, I can't wait till the end. When Jesus comes out of that volcano, oh, it'll be scary, but boy, it's going to be exciting. Like they're almost gleeful about it. And, and I think the idea is that they feel, of course, they will survive. You know, they're not the ones that are going to have trouble in the end. But to me, it's very disturbing to see grown professional people that this is really what they think in their head. So I don't know. And it's, yeah, it's just interesting stuff, brought right? out post COVID, I think. Yeah. It's, so. Living a different world. A different world. That's uh, it. And, and, and it is, it's, I think it's fascinating because a lot of what was fringy stuff yeah. has become very, very mainstream now. Yep, that's it. That's my exact ex observation, because I thought if I would have watched this episode three, where they were spouting off more of their fundamental stuff a couple of years ago, I would have said that's so fringy. I've heard mainstream people saying that today out in the open. So yeah, definitely a different day. Yep. Now, this is a non-political show. All points of views are welcome. I had Rock Waterman come on and talk about vaccines being bad and all that. And yeah. so I, I like to have you. different that's perspectives on. Um, so I guess, uh, let me think, is there anything else about the anti-government stuff you want to touch on? No, I just, I'm curious to see, you know, how far they're going to take it, you know, what they're going to touch on next. But in my opinion, and my experience, it's fairly accurate as far as people get involved in these groups, what happens, except for, of course, not to such an extreme. I think that's what I mean. I'd like to see how it just descends into madness, if that makes sense. Because like okay. my brother-in-law, you know, he went to jail, he didn't pay his taxes, this and that, but not nothing violent like that. So. Good. Good. So before we get into the temple, let's just talk about the little side story that happens with the mom with the dementia. 
Um, maybe just talk a little, one of the things that struck me was how like the whole community is like, oh, we got to help. And then they get the bus driver who recognizes yeah. her from the ward. I, I, what I liked about it was there, it gives you the sense of how closed knit of a community it is. So everybody looks out for each other. Yeah, and that's absolutely true. I mean, I raised my kids in Utah, in a little Utah cul-de-sac, and that was it. I mean, you'd get the phone call, so-and-so, we can't find him, is he at your house? I mean, you know, that happened all the time. You know, go look for somebody, get the call, all that kind of stuff, and just help and support. And that is what is so attractive, I think, especially me at a certain age as a, a mom. I mean, I think I've talked to you about how I was never a magical thinker from being a child. I never was on board with all the beliefs, but the culture and the society definitely as a mother with kids, it was amazing. I mean, just the support, the support system. So yeah, that was very accurate. If, if we would have had somebody in our neighborhood that had wandered off as you know a disabled adult, we definitely, everybody would have, you know, we had somebody who, um, the husband disappeared. It was a, unfortunately a, a light plane crash. And from someone in our neighborhood, everybody mobilized. We got ATVs. Everybody wanted to, you know, I mean, you just, you go. And that's just not a Mormon thing. I mean, everybody does that in a neighborhood, obviously. You you form a little community. But, but yeah, very accurate. And the ward list, I laughed about that. I'll get out my address book. It's true. The ward list is there. You got everybody on it. You know their occupations. Your pipe breaks. You call brother so and so, right? You mm -hmm. have a flat tire. You call brother. You know it was just it was a very connected way um to support and also get support. Uh, before we, I keep on teasing this temple thing, but yeah, uh, and, and this is all respect. We won't even get to it by the end, no. Yeah, we will get to it. But I wanted one of the, the, the odd decisions that they made was when they did the interviews of the two eight-year-old girls. I was wondering why are the parents in there, and I thought maybe I'm misremembering something. Explain to me why this was a weird decision to actually do it that way. Yeah, I thought that was very strange because I went in alone at age eight, and I actually polled a whole bunch of people of my era. I let's see, when was my baptism interview? It would have been like '73-ish, '74. Um, everybody went in alone, and I'm sure that. Lance Black knew that people go in alone, especially given all the hot buttons of interviews with children behind closed doors or young young people, right? So this would have been a moment to really show it. A little eight-year-old girl sitting in a big chair behind a desk talking to a man about these questions. I don't know why they didn't do that. The only thing I can think is maybe they wanted to show that the parents were fully on board with their children being so obedient to a system because, you know, the little girls, Yes. And then the bishop's like, no, you have to say it one at a time. And the parents are like, mm-hmm. So maybe to the larger world, that also shows, oh my gosh, these parents are also brainwashed or, you know, whatever, whatever the point they're trying to make. So, but in, in the real world, we all went in alone with the bishop. And there, there was the question about tithing. I distinctly remember that because my parents were heavy, you know, tithing. We paid tithing on everything, tooth fairy money, Christmas money, birthday cards, even as a little kid. And so tithing was a question. Um, do you believe it's the true church and believe in Joseph Smith? That was the question. And then there was, if I remember, some kind of a worthiness question. You know, do you feel that you're worthy to be baptized? And I pulled some other people and they said, yeah, we remember that too. So, and in my situation, maybe I, maybe I talked about this. I can't remember if I talked about this at book club or on my other interview with you about how it's the first time I feel I told a lie. In a, understood that I needed to lie in a bishop's interview because I had held hands with a little 
boy at school. And in my mind, I knew that made me not worthy. I mean, I'm eight, right? <laughs> but I flat out looked at him and realized I've got to get baptized. Everyone's counting on it. It would be disastrous if I don't. So I'm just going to say, yes, I'm worthy, you know? So those dynamics exist even from a very young age. But but yeah, why do you think he chose to show the whole family in there? I mean, I, it was an interesting choice given that the reality would have been whoa that would have shocked a lot of people yeah yeah and i don't know why they made this decision the only thing i can think of is of course it's bishop young which i thought was the yeah <laughs> um, oh and that guy are you kidding could you have found a better actor to play a bishop he was perfect like he was an amalgam of every bishop i've ever had i thought awesome. he was, that actor was great <laughs> and, and, and the only thing i can think of is that they wanted to hit two birds with one stone which was him then talking to the bishop yeah the bishop about his mother and then the bishop giving him advice but then he's even though it's all about the authority and it's showing how you're supposed to follow authority and listen to all these other things, he questions the advice that the bishop gave to him. Right, he does. And I never had that experience because I've never gone in and declared or looked for answers or had a shelf break because I was never a magical thinker all the way along. But I do have friends who have you know, express their doubts to family members, family members that said, you've got to go talk to the bishop or you've got to go talk to the state president. And from their descriptions, that's exactly what happens. First of all, the leader doesn't know what you're talking about. They're just a sincere, you know, nice person trying to, a bishop is a volunteer, somebody that's called to do it. And they say, yes, they will. They don't necessarily know. And so with my friend's experiences, they don't have answers, just like the bishop in the, in the, in the episode. And um, they also suggest that maybe you just, you know, put it away. That's exactly it. So, but my friends being thinking people, they, you know, they obviously couldn't put it away and they had to do more study and research, but but family members, that's kind of like the last ditch effort. Go talk to the bishop, you know, hoping that the bishop can help you understand. And, and I feel like maybe some bishop's shelves get a little heavy hearing things that they've never heard before, you know. So, but I thought that was very accurate, the way the bishop said, oh, just put that aside. You know, you don't need to worry about that. Just, mm -hmm. and he didn't know what, what Jeb was talking about himself. So, yeah, interesting stuff. So, yeah, it is. let's go. And now, uh, you know, I've. One of my guests, Kimberly Smith, uh, with the Joseph Smith Foundation, posted on Facebook that um, Latter-day Saints, uh, faithful Latter-day Saints, should not watch under the banner of heaven, specifically because the temple ceremony is shown. Right. Um, what do you think of that? Well, I was expecting a lot more. Like I said, I watched Big Love, and I, they showed quite a bit. This was this was enough to further the narrative. I think it was needed to show, um, you know, her motivations and what she was doing and why, but I don't think it sensationalized it at all. I think by showing it in little snippets, you got the sense of it, but you certainly didn't see what the ceremony really was. Um, but it was, it was very accurate in what it showed. I went through similar time period. I went through 1991. So, you know, some years later, and after they had taken out that one motion that they did, you know, that, that now we know appears to be a little bit violent. But, but I also know that I'm sure people that are, are LDS, anything that you would see, you know, the, the clothing, anything would probably just be offend, hurt their sensibilities, you know. But it was very accurate. I had somebody say to me, oh yeah, that shushing temple matron, totally happened to everybody <laughs> there was always some lady going Shh. 
<laughs> that was very accurate. And the whispering among the women, that was accurate. Hmm. You know, I went through the temple, I was sitting there. I mean, I think what people don't understand is back in my day, if I can say that, the prep was not really prep. There was nothing. You went in, unless you found some kind of back alley way to find out, you didn't know anything, right? You knew nothing. And so I'd always been extremely terrified of the idea of the temple. In my family, it was secret. I mean, secret. You didn't talk about anything. And so as I, when I was a kid, I put together, okay, sex, secret. It must have something to do with sex. That's what I thought, right? And so I already had a lot of, and, and, and this is me. Again, this is only my experience. I had a lot of fear about the temple going in. And I did not know what to expect. I think I went to a temple prep class, but they just kind of talked around it. They didn't really know. Um, so some of the experiences where you just feel very exposed, I'll say that. And in my mind, I just kept going, okay, I want to get married. So I'm, I'm going to do this. I want to get married. This is what I have to do. And my whole family is, has done this and they want me to do it. So, but I was a little different. So I, you know, I told you I, I worked at BYU library. I read a lot of the old books, old Mormonism books, all kinds of books. Well, I had read a book on masonry in the library, just as I was cataloging it. I looked through it. I thought this was really fascinating. I was completely shocked when I went to the temple and recognized everything I had read in that book. I kept looking around going, this is what I read in that book. <laughs> it was a shock to me. And that was the first I'd ever really made that connection that a lot of it is based on the Masonic ceremony. So, but as far as the whispering, yes, you sit down, my sister was there, my best friend, they're like, are you okay? You know, I mean, it was very accurate in that way. And I did go through back in the day where the wording for a woman is that for a man, you covenant to God, for a woman, you covenant to your husband who will then lead you to God. That has since been changed. Um, even the veiling and things like that has been changed to make it more just accessible, I think. Um, but yeah, all that was completely accurate when I watched it. And I thought they did a really good job. I thought it was necessary to further the narrative of the story that she had to be on board. She covenanted to her husband. She covenanted to the faith. She needed to be on board. So yeah. that was kind of my take on what did you think as a never Mormon? <laughs> uh, you know, this is the thing is like, I've never, I've, I never went and watched the ceremony online. I started watching it a few years ago and I, thought, I feel icky because I felt like this is sacred and I don't really feel like I, I like I almost feel like a voyeur. So I just never really watched the ceremonies. I guess I just have this kind of innate respect for people and their beliefs. And but of course, when you read as many books as I've read and you can't help but basically you're I'm able to probably just based on the materials the historical materials I read I could reconstruct the entire ceremony just based on especially when they talk about the changes that were made right like there were different oaths that they were taking in the, around the turn of the 19th century that they don't do anymore so it's been it's been in constant flux so and that's part of the historical record like my question is is it really showing a temple ceremony if what they're showing is no longer in the temple ceremony right yeah that's interesting but it was there in the day and it showed what Brenda went through and it shows yes. what coming into two sure exactly yeah. and i would guess that the lafferty's were all aware of what used to be in the temple ceremony um until about 1930 which were oaths to sort of fight against the government bends yeah. perhaps their treatment of the early saints that was there i mean not physically fight but just 
pray sort of and it even said in that original oh something about teach your generations two three four generations forward you know about this mistreatment of the saints by the government so two three four generations that's us it is very relevant i think what was said and also changes and why the changes were made so i think they showed a 18 and 1980s temple ceremony and that's what Brenda went through. And if you if you saw in the scene, everyone in the family was there. The Lafferty's were all sitting there. They were they were hearing what they heard. And that was their motivation for a lot of things. That was their life and their world. So it was important to show, I think. So let's I think talk they, I'm I was okay with it. So. Okay. So uh you had you went through this ceremony yourself and you we were talking off camera beforehand about how uncomfortable the experience was for you. You want to share a little bit about that? Well, like I said, and this is me and not everybody else, but I had a lot of temple trauma from the very beginning. My parents, okay, so back in the you know 70s, there were not temples on every corner, right? There were only a few. So every time we would go on a family vacation, we would stop at temples, Idaho and Utah, because I grew up in Washington state. And there was this program, I guess, where you could call a stake and say, I'm traveling, I'm from out of state, I wanna go to the temple. Is there somebody that can watch my children? So my sister and I were dropped off in another state um, for hours, going to the temple took hours back in the day alone. Um, I was a very nervous child <laughs> and it was extremely traumatic. So in my mind, and I've only kind of realized this in the last couple of years, in my mind, the temple was associated with some fear, right? I'm alone with people I don't know. I'm being babysat. My parents have gone somewhere. They've gone to the temple. I don't know what's happening. Are they coming back? You know, I would make these plans in my head. Okay, if they don't show up, I'll take my sister and I'll do that. I mean, you know, again, I was a nervous child and it was very traumatic. So even from early on, I had these ideas about the temple that, you know, I also had, there's a lot of performance that you have to do, things you have to do right, that you can get called on if you do wrong, you know, that also made me very nervous. Again, this is just me and my experience. So by the time I got to actually having to go in, um, I was definitely just, okay, I'm going to get married. That's the only reason I'm here. So, and funny, this is funny. So during the endowment ceremony, I think everyone knows they show a film, you know, to instruct. And so I had a best friend, my best friend and roommate. Um, she got up in the middle of the ceremony and went to the bathroom. Um, nobody knew. I certainly didn't know that they have to stop everything if somebody leaves the ceremony. So the screen went up. <laughs> the lights came back on, everybody sat there, and I'm like, what is happening? I mean, I'm telling you, every time I go, something so strange happens, you know, my friend didn't know, you know, she was a return missionary, but she had no idea that everybody had to be present, you know, you couldn't miss part of it, because you're going through on behalf of someone else, and so, yeah, she was gone a really long time, and I'm like, having social anxiety going, oh my gosh, this is so hard, you know, so she comes back in, and the other funny thing about the, the film starts, you know, showing basically creation and the Garden of Eden and stuff. Well, my husband was in the theater program at BYU, so I knew everybody in the film. I'm like, oh, look, there's Cindy. That was nice. So to me, it's just, again, I just have had strange experiences. So, yeah. And then, of course, I went through my interview with you all the just, you know, and it's mostly my social anxiety. I'm an introverted extrovert. And just to be in there having to do things on cue, do things the right way, motions and things, it was just too much, just a lot of stress. So I blocked a lot of it out, except for just those feelings. And then <laughs> after everything was over 
um, everybody kept saying, okay, I know it'll be stressful for you, but there's a cafeteria. You can go down there and we'll get lunch afterwards in the temple, you know? So we go down to the cafeteria and who's there? My husband's uh, former fiance. He was engaged before. She was there. So that's the first time I got to, I know it's just like, could it be just a worse day? I mean, she was fine. She was lovely. But, you know, the new the new bride-to-be doesn't want to meet the old fiancé in the temple. <laughs> so, yeah, it is. But, but you know, and I've never really given too much thought about the covenant to your husband line. I didn't even really realize that until they changed it much later. But I think some of the narrative, um, what did you think about Brenda and the whole put them, we put our women in a cage. That was a huge narrative and a huge theme that Lance Black is trying to, you know, show throughout. What did you think about that? Yeah, I just thought he was kind of telling his story about how, even though he's, he's very influenced in the environment that he's in. So he doesn't pay the, car, the, the, the traffic tickets because of his brothers. That's what they told him not to do. And then he, because he wants what's best, he thinks, he he has his wife drop out of going into journalism and said, I mean, let's just have a ton of babies and then you could go back to work. And then he has this recognition. It's almost as he's telling the story of, oh, maybe I put her in a cage. Maybe, you know, I I thought that was kind of an interesting narrative that he had where he's maybe having this realization of what role he ultimately did play in a lot of this as well. Yeah, I think he was very self-aware there. And and again, I can speak as a woman, you know, in the 80s and 90s. I don't think this is how it is today, but I also think that we ourselves put ourselves in cages, if that makes sense, women. When I started BYU, I was an advertising major. I like to write, I wrote scripts, I wrote all kinds of things. I thought this is great. I love this creative side. I want to be an advertising major. So I got into the program and I admit I was intimidated by guys that were in the program. I also started to think, how is this going to work when I'm a mom? I mean, this is going to be like a career career. I, you know, I better try to find something that I can do more. I put myself in that cage. I changed majors. I did that. I did that to myself. Right. And so then flash forward years, I am working at BYU. I have a library science master's degree. Um, I continued working when my kids were like my oldest was four, had to put him in daycare, you know, the guilt, the guilt, right? No other mothers were working. Where I was working, there were no other, once you had children, you left. There wasn't really anything set up at BYU for working mothers. There was no maternity leave. There was nothing really set up to support. It was just back in the day. I know they've changed all that. And so there was a point where even though, you know, I had a full-time job, I had insurance, all that, my husband and I decided together, you know, the kids are little, I think it's better that you just come home, right? And I did. And right at the perfect time, right? 9-11, the mortgage crisis. I mean, there were struggles, right? But we both put ourselves in that cage. It's not just a cage for women. It's a cage for men too, not to look at all the resources you have as a couple or as a family and use them in the best way. So that was my era. I do not feel that happens today. I feel most girls, most women expect that they're going to be able to, you know, have a career, have everything, and everybody's going to help and support. But mm. when I watched that theme there, I thought, you know, I did it to myself. And then my husband and I decided to do it together. And that's just what it was. 
So it was interesting. Well, um, yeah, this is so, uh, so basically you'd say definitely episode three is the best of the so far and you're, you're hopeful that maybe it continues to get better. I hope so. Yeah. I think it's definitely found a voice and I thought all the flashbacks worked. And, and I have to say, even though I didn't love the pacing and the timing and the flashbacks of the first two, the acting is phenomenal. I think, I mean, how do you feel about that? I feel like some of those performances are, are just incredible. I mean, just, I don't think there's too much argument there. So I'm happy to see that the story is catching up to the caliber of the actors and the pacing and the, the voice. And, and so I'm excited to watch the next episode. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think part of the reason why we're doing this after show is uh, a lot of people are just kind of, you're thrown into the story, not a whole lot of explanation is given. And so maybe the context of what's going on is sometimes it might be lost to somebody who's a nevermo or yeah. somebody who just doesn't really know the history of their church. Uh, you know, it's, it's fascinating to me to hear some of the criticisms of this. And it's people that really don't, they're, they're Mormons, they're LDS folk, but they don't really even know a lot of their history. So now the show gets some things inaccurate, but from the consensus I'm getting from you and other people from some of the voices I'm hearing is that culturally it nails a lot, it gets a lot right. Yeah, I would say that absolutely. I think that's absolutely true. So, or if they do make it more of a caricature or take liberties, they're just trying to put forward a theme. I think definitely the themes are there. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, a few questions on some of their choices that they make, you know, uh, but, but again, of course, as a Hollywood production, they're trying to move the story along so we can give them some, you know, uh, leeway there. Um, is this show starting to seem more like getting closer to the book? Like the first two didn't seem like it was, I mean, what do you think? What do you think? How? Yeah, that's a good question. And I rewatched my interview with you last time. And I thought, God, I'm just so married to the book, right? The book, the book. I need to realize it's not the book, right? <laughs> it's not, it really isn't. So I'm trying to just enjoy it on, on its own merits. And I think I'm, I'm starting to, um, I think it will become closer to the book as it starts to show more of the history. Although I think interestingly, like for example, the Hans Mill, massacre uh what did you, there was there was no context as far as the missouri war going on right it just looked like some bad guys decided to come and kill some mormons right and you of course know the other side of that story what what had been happening there was a you know pot boiling over all those dynamics um i don't know if they should show that side of it i don't know if it fits their narrative to show it but nothing happens in a vacuum right yeah. and there were definitely forces that led to the Hans Mill massacre so yep, yep. so just real yeah. quick folks here's the book um i'll leave a link to it in the description um i wanted to say folks that i actually taped an interview with rfm radio free mormon today and that was going to be the episode that was going to air tonight but we had a little technical glitch with zoom which zoom did a really weird thing today so i got to splice two interviews together and so that will probably be next friday and so originally i was going to release this episode i got other interviews that i can post but i kind of want to be timely too so I've decided I'm going to release that this is going to be on Friday, um, this Friday night. So this will, you'll get the prime time slot there, uh, Rebecca. You're no longer a love. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you're no, no, no longer a lug. Uh, not, thousands of people have watched you. Have I graduated? I'm not unknown since I've been on three times. Is exactly. that it? Large, largely unknown guest. That was the That's term right. that uh, you, we gave you. <laughs> and uh, I always want to thank you so much for coming on because I think your story is a very fascinating one. It gives a lot of interesting perspective. And 
you know, it's just so cool to uh, have these conversations. Now, am I going to have another guest host next week or is it going to be Rebecca? We'll see how it goes. There's other people I would like to talk to. But again, I, I think uh, it's really been a fantastic opportunity. So we look forward to uh, screening episode four next week. And if I keep on getting good responses from the audience and views and, and everything, we'll just continue with this series until the very end. So Rebecca, do you have any final words for my audience? Um, I'm just really uh, proud of you and everything that you're doing. I just think it's so awesome. I just, you know, Steve is great, everybody. If you haven't watched some of his other videos, just take a look, seriously, you'll be impressed with with what he's able to draw out of people and just the conversations. It's it's just wonderful, I think. So kudos to you. Thank you. Appreciate it. I love you. So just All right. a quick reminder, folks, that we if you want to support our channel, or you can support us on PayPal, you can support us on Patreon. Um, MormonBookReviews.com, like I said earlier, is now a merch store. So if you'd like to buy hats and t-shirts with the MBR logo, it's uh, kind of cool. So check that out. That's another way you can support our channels by buying merchandise. Uh, we just got added to Odyssey. Uh, that's another podcast format. So we're on basically all the major podcast formats. 10,000 views, almost 10,000 views in the last 30 days. So that's growing real fast. And I don't know if I mentioned this earlier because I'm getting my, my interviews confused and off my off camera stuff, but today the channel got its 100,000th view earlier this morning. So we're very excited about that as well. And uh, this little channel just keeps on plugging along. I want to thank everybody for all your support. And once again, Rebecca, thanks for coming back on. Thank you. Bye-bye, everybody. Y'all have yourself a great day.